Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 54. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within you, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers! For you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Grass withers and flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. Well, today we're just... Continuing in the gut punches uh, from Jesus this morning, chapter 11 has been kind of a rough chapter if you've been keeping up with us here. It has not been the easiest walk through uh, Scripture because we come away with a picture of Jesus that isn't really the popular picture of Jesus. I mean, as you look around, I don't know how you can have this sort of Vidal Sassoon, hippie Jesus, just, you know, I love, I love the teachings of Jesus. He just has nice things to say. He's just, basically, he's just talking about love other people. And you kind of want to say to somebody with that opinion, you want to say, have you read the Gospels? Have you actually gotten this out? And I don't know, turn to page uh, 1134 of my pew Bible here and look at the words from the mouth of Jesus. Jesus has hard things to say. He has very hard things to say. And there is no way this morning you can read a passage like this. And if you're in here this morning and you have ears to hear, if you have ears to hear, there is no way for you to walk out of this place this morning patting yourself on the back and feeling good about yourself 
for who you are. There is no way which you'll be able to hear a message like this and walk out of here riding on a high horse. The only way to leave pleased this morning and to leave pleased with yourself is just to tune Jesus out, <laughs> which is what the Pharisees do, right? And we hear at the end of this passage, they're like, yeah, I'm not hearing the rebuke, but we're going to wait for you to say something else that's going to trip you up and so we can accuse you. But I'm just not going to hear to what Jesus has. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to hear what Jesus has to say. That's the only way you walk out of here riding on a high horse, pleased with yourself. But if you have ears to hear this morning, there is no way out of the punch in the gut that Jesus gives here that lays us low. And if you're going to walk out of here glad, encouraged, and joyous, which is my goal. My goal is not that you walk out of here just punched in the gut, doubled over. My, the, fine, the goal is that you do walk out of here joyous and encouraged. It is going to be a joy that is found only in the gospel and not in ourselves at all. Not in ourselves at all. A joy that is found in the gospel. And that is my hope. So if you have ears to hear, don't fight the punches that come from the law. Don't fight the punches that come from the mouth of Jesus and pretend like He doesn't say hard things that mean and have implications for us today. Because if you do, if you turn your ear off for that, you may ride out on your high horse, but you do not know true joy that is found in the gospel alone. So as long as this section is, um, really, and in all the expressions, all the woes, then really it's not that difficult to understand what's going on here, right? Jesus is fighting against hypocrisy. These people are hypocrites. They, they put on a good show. They, they have all these you know, amazing things they do. They are very self-righteous, upstanding people. And Jesus is coming against them as hypocrites. As hypocrites. We see the beginning uh, after, these, after some kind of hard words from previously in the chapter. Jesus gets invited to this dinner at the Pharisee's house. And he goes... And he obliges and he goes and eats. Jesus eats with sinners and tax collectors. And he eats with sinners and the self-righteous. Jesus is not particular. He always eats with sinners because that's all there is to eat with. Jesus is going and he's going to eat with sinners. And sometimes people talk about, you know, oh, Jesus always associated with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and whatever. It's like, yeah. And he also uh, associated with the sinners that were the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers. He ate with sinners because that's all there is to eat with. But he shows up at this meal and just fails to wash his hands. And every mother in the room is like, "Ah, his mom taught him nothing. We wash our hands before every meal. It's cold and flu season. And if you don't want to get sick, you got to wash your hands, right? I mean, every kid, we, we, we always come in from outside. We go and wash our hands. That's one of the first things our kids are just programmed to go to the sink and wash hands because that's what we do. And Jesus evidently is just so gross. He's not going to wash his hands before his meal. Now, that's, I'm, that's not what's going on here. Okay, so that's kind of in our modern view of cleanliness. We think Jesus, they're just, they're they're worried about Jesus and his cleanliness. But it isn't his washing of his hands as far as keeping disease or whatever, or washing off the sickness because he's got dirty hands. It's a ritual cleaning they're worried about here. So if you, in my studying, I, I read a few places in Jewish laws of how you're to wash your hands before the meal. And there was a couple of different washings 
and they would specify the first washing went to a certain point on your wrist, and then the second washing had to go beyond it, but then if the water ran back down, I mean, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't successfully wash my hands from this description of how you're supposed to do it to save my life. I would, I would not be able to wash my hands sufficiently. They had this ritual washing they would do before every meal to make sure their hands were clean. And when you got done, you could, you could wipe your hand off on the wall to dry it, or even on your head, but you couldn't wipe your hand on an unwashed. You couldn't wipe your hands together to dry them. That would make them unclean. I mean, just just rules and rules and rules about religious ceremonial cleanliness, and that's what they're talking about here. So Jesus shows up. He's aware of these specific rules, and he totally ignores them. They're not they're not found in the Torah. They are they are added rules from the Pharisees in their own writings. They're these extra rules. Jesus shows up at this meal, and almost knowing, you could just guess, he knows this is going to cause a problem, and he doesn't do it to almost push the issues with the Pharisees, because they don't really even say anything. Verse 39, he he doesn't wash. The Pharisees, it says in verse 38, the Pharisees are astonished, and then Jesus says to them, and he goes into his pronouncements against them. This is the scandal that the Pharisees see in Jesus' lack of doing what they considered religious observance. Jesus, seeing into their hearts, knows their objection, takes this action possibly just to provoke the, their scorn, and then he goes into this teaching. The big problem that Jesus sees, and as he lays out, is that the Pharisees are experts in externalism. I'm going to call it externalism. Just, I, it communicates the idea very clearly. The Pharisees were experts in externalism. They always put on a good face. They always did the right thing on the outside. They were experts at externalism. They knew how to keep everything on the up and up on the outside, all the while being filthy and polluted and greedy and, and depraved on the inside. But they didn't, that was not the issue with them. It was the externals. Are you keeping up good face? Are you making a good show of it? If we were to wash you Pharisee from the outside, you would look at them and you would say, that person is righteous. They are nailing it because they were experts in in externalism outside of themselves. They were experts at doing everything right on the outside while remaining wicked on the inside. It's the exact point of Jesus' initial comparisons in verses 39 and 40. He says, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Does anyone go to the sink after you've had a bowl of soup or something, you know, our old hearty stew is full of butter and all this good stuff in it, and you go and you wash the outside of the cup and put it back in the cupboard to eat it again? You don't, I mean, you look at that outside, boy, that bowl is clean, and then you pull it out. You ever pull a Something out of the dishwasher got turned around the wrong way or something. And you pull it out like, what in the world? Why did I pay money for this dishwasher? The inside, it looks nice on the outside, but there's still food chunks inside. Maybe I just have a worse dishwasher than everybody else. I don't know. But you don't, you don't eat out of that bowl. You go and you rewash the inside. I don't care how pretty it is on the outside. If it's dirty inside, it is not clean. And that's his point. These, these Pharisees with this externalism. They are experts at making the bowl look shiny, and inside it's full of rotten food. It's full of just disgusting, 
unrighteousness. Greed and wickedness is what Jesus says it is. But their main concern is just, just keep the outside of the bowl clean. Don't worry about how filthy it is on the inside. Just clean the outside. He tells them they are spotless and clean on the outside, but inside they are full of greed and wickedness. And I hate to say it, he's just getting started. That's his opener. <laughs> it doesn't get better from there. I mean, that's like, it, he, just, he just dials in from that point. This is how the outline goes. Woe to the Pharisees. Woe, woe, woe. Three times to the Pharisees. Alas, woe. Just this, uh, you know, uh, this is, it's terrible. Woe is me. Woe, woe upon the Pharisees. Is, is, he starts out with, and the, the lawyers hear this, and they're like, Jesus, those woes that you're saying to the Pharisees, that's, that's, gonna, that's kind of uh, creeping in on us a little bit. You're, going, you're offending us too. And Jesus, Jesus basically answers, yeah, I know. And here's three woes specifically for the lawyers. Woe, lawyers. Woe to the lawyers. Woe to the lawyers. Those are not what we call lawyers today. These are experts in the law. You had the Pharisees are a certain class and the lawyers are this certain, they were experts in understanding the law. Six woes that Jesus lays out. We don't have time this morning to go through all of them, though they all, I think, bear a lot of, of fruit in studying what's really the, the complaint underneath these woes. But there's six woes. The first woe is that these Pharisees, they tithe on every little thing, but they neglect the bigger things like love and justice. The second woe is that they love the best seats in the house. They love man's approval. They love to be acknowledged. The third woe is that they're unmarked graves. They're all dressed up. They look the part, but when people come in contact with them, they actually make people worse because they're full of disease. They're full of depravity. They're full of greed and wickedness. The fourth woe that goes to the lawyers is that they load up people with burdens that they don't carry themselves. The fifth woe is they build tombs for the prophets. They don't actually heed the prophets. They don't hear the prophets. They don't respect the, um, the authentically the message of the prophets. And the sixth woe is that they've taken away the key of knowledge and consequently have hidden it from others. That's all six woes. We don't have time for all of them this morning. We could break it down, but we're, not, we're just going to keep forging ahead. But just to grab a few of these woes, just to look at a few of them. With the first woe, we hear this accusation of, of the Pharisees that they major in the minors and they minor in the majors. They tithe all of these herbs, this tithe. Or the, they tithe mint and rue and every herb. So they would go and if they would, if they would acquire a certain amount of, the, of this herb, they would take 10% of it and give it. They were very faithful tithers. If they, no matter, it's like if you went to the store and you got your little can of, of whatever, cumin, you would take 10% of it off and put it in the offering plate. Please don't do that. Uh, Karen does not, Mitzi does not want to sort through your cumin powder. But they, they were very faithful at, at every little detail of tithing. They would, everything, they cut 10%, 10%, 10%. 10% and they would do it in front of everyone to make sure everyone knew, this is my 10% I'm giving. But they neglected love and justice. They were majoring in the minors and they minored in the majors. They were super concerned with their little pet rules, the ones they knew they could keep. They found some little tiny rule, and they thought, if I perform this to such a degree that everyone's like, wow, look at that small rule. They are just absolutely perfect in keeping this small rule that, they'll be imp- that it'll be impressive. They've forgotten everything major. 
like love for God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love for neighbor as yourself, yeah, I don't do so well on those, but boy, look at me and keeping my tithing record. Boy, I am good with every little thing that I do. We are often impressed in this ourselves by those who've got some little niche. They've got some little thing. They're just super, some little religious practice they keep up on. And boy, isn't that, that's got this, isn't that valuable? They've got this little thing they just always nail. But Jesus says those who are experts in these little tiny things while neglecting the big picture, woe to them. Woe to them. So what does that look like, some modern-day comparisons? Let's get real. Okay, so we're not all tithe. We don't, we don't tithe our groceries that we buy. We don't the things that we take in. We're not, we're not cutting all those things out, though I would encourage you to think seriously about being a good steward with your money. But what are some modern-day comparisons? Small tasks that we give great credit to but really are nothing if they are disconnected from true love for God. You're all sitting in this place this morning, and I'm glad to have you. Glad you're here. Glad to see you. But if you are here as some sort of external observance, if you never miss a Sunday, you always show up and you put your hind in, in the seat, but your heart is nowhere close to God, you are majoring in the minors by making sure attendance, I've got this one thing, I never miss a Sunday morning service. That's great and I'm glad to have you. But hear the words of Jesus. When you major in the minors and your heart is nowhere near him, you're adding woe to yourself. You're adding woe that you are majoring in the minors and and totally minoring in the major thing of loving God. You put on this, it's a great external show. Everyone can see it. Boy, that person never misses. I've got to step on some toes here. That person never misses. But if their heart is far from God, it does not add up for anything. If you fulfill a church role, we've got a lot of church offices here. We've got 12 elders, 24 deacons, 24 deaconesses. And if you always fulfill that role perfectly, but your heart is far from God, you're, you are majoring in a minor. You are taking this small detail and say, boy, when I have this, this thing, I never miss. I, I always nail this one little thing. But my heart is far from God in any authentic way. The word to Jesus for a heart that's like that is woe. Is woe. If, if you're fulfilling your duty, the pat on the back is, is worthless if you're doing it for just the external reality of that. And we could go down with tons of, of Bible reading. Say you never fail to miss the Bible plan and you read it in a year and every year you fulfill your reading plan. And boy, I just... But you do not have a heart for God. You do not love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, which you don't. You don't love your neighbor as yourself, which you don't. You, 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 you have this, this external thing. Boy, I show up for and show out to everybody, but my heart is far from God. That is what Jesus is coming against. It's externalism. Prayer time, theological knowledge, all these things we go on and on with examples. Jesus says, woe to the externalist. Nails it on the outside, but whose heart is far from him. Second woe, we, we're, just two more that we're going to look at. The second woe is for those who love to be recognized by others. They love the best seat in the synagogues, Jesus says. Woe to you Pharisees, you love the best seat in the synagogues. How much of your show of religion is exactly that? 
You love to be seen as someone who comes to church and leaves, and you love to be seen as someone who is religious. Is it a show? Well, th- thankfully, in America, this is losing its capital. Like, it's not so popular to be Christian. If you're an Orthodox Christian, if you hold that the Bible is the inspired word of God, and, and it's, it's, the, it's the word of truth for life and practice and doctrine, morality, it's not so popular today in America, so it doesn't, it's not quite so popular to be putting the front out there that I'm a Christian, but if your, if your display of Christianity is just that for a display of Christianity, Jesus says, woe to you. Do you love to be recognized just for the sake of being recognized? And can we, can we be honest? At church, I'd, I'd find it hard to believe that there isn't anyone who at some level can't, doesn't have to say, yeah, that's a bit me. That there is, there is a, or at the board meeting Wednesday night, someone made a nice comment about me uh, about my intelligence, believe it or not. And I was, well, all right, I'll take that. They said something nice about and there And there was this check, I'm, I'm studying this passage, and it's like, that is like, uh, that is, that is uh, I didn't want to use an illicit drug, but it's almost like an illicit drug. When you hear someone say something like that, you're like, oh man, somebody recognized. And boy, it is just addictive almost that others recognize something in you. There's something about our broken, sinful nature that is addicted to the praise of others. Addicted to the praise of others. We love to have others think we are super spiritual. If we pray, we want others to think that our prayers are really good. If we make a comment at Bible study or at Sunday school, we want others to be impressed. And Jesus says, if you just want to be recognized, if there's no authentic love for Christ, love for God in it, woe to you. Woe. It's externalism. We'll skip down to just the fifth woe. We'll just end with the woes on the fifth one. But he has this woe for those who build monuments to the prophets that their forefathers killed. And you can't, what, is, what is Jesus getting at in this indictment? And the problem is that they, they make this show of, as though they're respecting the prophets. We're going to build their tombs. We're building monuments to them. But they totally disregard the, the prophet's message. They, they build this tomb. See, we, are, we, we love the message of Hosea. We honor Jeremiah. But they totally ignore the messages of these prophets. They, they, message, they, they ignore the message of Hosea. They would, they would, oh, we love the prophet Hosea. He's in our canon. We, we love Hosea. But they ignore Hosea 12.6, which says, By the help of your God, return, repent. Return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. Return to love, hold fast to love and justice. And they'd say, oh, okay, let's we're gonna ignore that message that's calling us to repent, to love justice, but we're going to build a monument to Hosea. We really like Hosea. We just don't like to listen to what he has to say. Jeremiah, the same way. They would honor Jeremiah, but they would ignore his message in 9, 23, and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. These are the things he loves. Love, justice, righteousness in the earth. And what they would do is they say, you know what? We love Jeremiah. We love the prophets. We love all these things. But the word coming from them actually didn't make a difference in their life. And honestly, this is what plagues much of American Christianity today. We are so eager 
to take the name of Christ, put Christ up on our Facebook wall, put pictures of him around our house, but pay absolutely no attention to what he actually says. Does the voice of the prophet actually hit your life? Or do you just build monuments? Do we just build monuments? Say, you know what, I'm, I'm a big Jesus fan and never let the words of the Savior, the words of the prophet actually hit you. Will you claim the name of Christ and ignore what he's saying to us even right now? Woe to those who put up monuments and ignore the message of the prophets. May just ask this question. What is Jesus then asking right now? Right now, with this passage, what is Jesus trying to get across to us? And there's a way to read this account of the rebuke of the Pharisees and the lawyers that leaves us just all walking out the door with heavier burdens. Okay, I just, I can't, I've got to stop. I've got to stop being a hypocrite. I've got to stop doing all these things. Just, just stop, buckle down. I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to mean it next time. I'm not going to be external. I'm going to be all internal. And I'm, I'm just going to really care more. And, and, and we're just going to walk out with heavier burdens. That's one way to read it. But that's what the fourth, the fourth law was about, tying up heavier burdens for people you can't even really carry. This is not about, when we get into this, and we're crushed by this, we're crushed. This isn't about making ourselves righteous, but about seeing our failure in the pursuit of righteousness. Repenting and coming to Christ, the truly righteous one, so that we could be forgiven of our unrighteousness and made truly righteous by Christ. That's the opportunity Jesus is giving to the Pharisees. This is the opportunity. He's pressing these woes. Whoa, 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 whoa. All these woes upon them. So that they would say, oh man, he's right. That is me. That is me. I, am, I do major in all the minors. I am an externalist. I do love the praise of people. I do want to be impressive. That is me. And the call is not to just, you know what? Go out and get better at it. It's repent. It's run to Christ. It's look to Christ, the truly righteous. Remember the conversation back in Luke chapter 5. This is the first time Jesus meets with the scribes and the Pharisees. This first conversation. He goes and eats with uh, the tax collector, Levi. He goes to the party at Levi's house. And they show up and they're, you're eating with sinners? What, what are you doing, Jesus? Yeah. Why are you eating with sinners? And he, this is his response to them. This is in Luke chapter 5, verse 32. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I've not come to call those who consider themselves righteous, which is this group, the externalists, consider themselves righteous. Jesus says, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to what? To repentance. The Pharisees here, they think they're righteous. And their externalism keeps them fooled in their righteousness. And it keeps them from truly hearing Christ's message and from receiving the forgiveness of their unrighteousness. And being given by faith, justification, righteousness, being given by faith, not by performance. And it's given a righteousness that they really can't achieve. The reality is, the reality is, no one gets away clean from these passages. I don't get it. I mean, this nailed me to the wall this week. I stand up front here and say these things. This nails me to the wall. Talk about a person who's going to be prone to externalism. Here I am. It nails you to the wall. Jesus here is not letting us get away 
clean from this passage. So many times we pick up the Bible and we read it for pointers on how to live right. And it certainly does describe what right living looks like. But the problem is that the Bible and Jesus are so relentless in their describing of a perfectly righteous life that we all find ourselves condemned by it. He just describes it so this is what it looks like to not be an externalist. And boy, we just don't, we haven't got it. The blatant, day, blatant sinners in Jesus' day, they knew they were condemned. No one thought the tax collectors, those who appeared righteous, were condemned, but they were. Even the groups that seemingly everyone thought would get along well with Jesus, because they sought so hard to be good, at least externally, they found themselves crushed as serious Crushed, as, crushed just as serious sinners as everyone else. That's why the message of the gospel is not a pat on the back. Get out there and get to work making yourself better. The message of the gospel is not pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Get to work. It is too late for that. The message from the passage, the message of the gospel, repent. Repent. Don't be the Pharisees and repent of your externalism. Repent and believe the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is for you to open your eyes to the reality of your desperate situation and cling to Christ. The righteous life we should have lived but didn't live, Jesus shows up and He fulfills the law perfectly. No externalism to Jesus. He meant it. He meant it. Perfectly righteous. Yet what do we see? He takes condemnation. He takes punishment. He takes judgment. Whose judgment? Those who are His. Our judgment given to Christ so that by faith, all of us who are hypocrites, all of us who do major in the minors and are externalists and mess things up can repent of that, look to Christ, and be forgiven and made truly righteous by the faith, by faith in Christ. The good news for you today is that if you can hear me, it's not too late. It's not too late. It's not too late to turn from your externalism and to trust in Christ. But don't delay. Don't sit on the fence. Don't make demands of God. Repent and run to Christ. There are two positive responses possible in this place this morning. The first positive response is that you see yourself as a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. Maybe you've been majoring in externalism your whole life. Maybe you've been majoring in externalism. Maybe you've always put on a good Christian front, always trying to be a nice person, but you've never truly repented of your false righteousness and trusted in Christ. And the good news today is that Christ is calling to you to come. Don't sit on the fence. Come to Christ. Be forgiven. Be made righteous by the shed blood of the Lamb. Be forgiven. The other positive response is for those who have repented who have experienced regeneration and justification. It's a response not of regeneration, but of ongoing sanctification. The attitude is not one of careless rebellion because, well, yeah, I'm an externalist, but Jesus forgives, so I guess I'm just going to keep going and be an externalist. No! Be killing sin lest it kills you. Hate the hypocrisy in your own heart. See your still residual externalism, your desire for the praise of others, your love for Christ in the abstract, in the theory, but not authentically. See it and repent, either for regeneration this morning, if you've never done that before, or for your ongoing sanctification, your growth in godliness. Flee to Christ this morning. 
We offer a meal every Sunday morning. It's only a small piece of bread and a small drink of juice, but it's so much more than that. Hear it at this table, at our communion meal, are reminders of the grace of God that has been poured out for sinners, even the worst of hypocrites like we read about in Luke 11. Yes, even you. A meal for sinners. Will you come this morning to the table confessing? Will you come to the table this morning repenting? Will you come trusting in the blood of Christ? Come. Come to Christ. Repent. Trust in His work. And leave rejoicing. Knowing a forgiveness that you could never have earned. Knowing a forgiveness that comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And leave rejoicing. Let's pray. Oh God, help us. My true desire, as this has been heavy this morning, God, is that we would hear the clarion call of the gospel. Sinners are we all. A Redeemer is Your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, as we come to this communion table this morning, may it be not an external observance, but Father, let it be a deep internal reality of our joy in the broken body and shed blood of our Savior for the forgiveness of our hypocrisy, for the forgiveness of our sinfulness, for the forgiveness of our externalism, so that, God, we can leave this place in joy, knowing true forgiveness, knowing true righteousness, knowing true fellowship with you. Do this work in our hearts this morning, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.